Welcome to episode 63 of the G2 on 5G. It's the latest inside scoop on everything 5G. We cover six topics in about 15 minutes and it's brought to you by More Insights and Strategy. I'm Will Townsend and joining me again this week is federal analyst Anshul Sag. Let's get started. Now we did have a hiatus last week, but we've got a lot to talk about this week. So my first topic is around DISH. And so this was last week, DISH um, called out, you know, some pretty bold incentives for its 5G network deployment. My question is, will it deliver? And one of the commitments was around CES. And it's not clear to me whether they're gonna have a very limited deployment to support CES demos, or if they're gonna actually have a production network in place. And so, the latter was what they sort of hinted to, but DISH has been pretty secretive. They just recently sort of come out of stealth mode and they talked about how, to no surprise, they're gonna leverage um, a lot of virtualization and cloud native um, platforms to um, deliver their solution you know, rapidly. But you know, from my perspective, you know, proof is in you know, the, the actual production of the network and so I, I think their their timelines are somewhat aggressive and would love to get your input on what you think there. I think they might be focusing their efforts on a market that they know that they're going to do well in, like Las Vegas. Right. Um, and I think I recall um, this sounds very familiar to what was going on with Sprint when they launched WiMAX and mm-hmm. Vegas was one of the cities that they launched in. And, you know, there were people running around CES with WiMAX um, because it was untouched spectrum and it looked great and there just weren't very many users on it. Mm-hmm. So it looked awesome. Um, but, you know, it'll be interesting to see whether this is a, you know, convention center only deployment or if this is a citywide thing or yeah. if it's just the strip. Because I think, you know, if they're trying to just deploy in areas where people are at CES, I think it'll it'll be it'll be questioned whether or not it's valid. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise, it should it should work out pretty well. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, it'll be interesting to see how CES all comes together. Um, they're stating that at this point uh, it'll be a hybrid event, but you know we're seeing this Delta variant peak, and uh, I just caught some news earlier today that. Um, you know, some of these events are sort of reevaluating what they're going to potentially do. I'm supposed to be at the, the big 5G event in Denver at the end of this month. Time will tell. But, uh, but yeah, we'll keep close tabs on this and report back to our viewership and listenership as things develop. So your first topic this week is around an announcement. Uh, I think it just broke today um, around uh, General Motors and their partnership with AT&T to enable their vehicles with 5G. Well, it's actually a multi-part um, AT&T segment because uh, AT&T made a lot of announcements this week uh, around 5G. And one of them is that um, starting with the model year 2024, which right. means vehicles in 2023, um, we'll be able to access AT&T's 5G networks um, and to enable things like 5G OTA updates, um, which will be very valuable as... GM is getting very aggressive with um, both uh, electrified vehicles as well as autonomous vehicles. And um, this could be potentially millions of new lines for AT&T because 
you know, I, I've, I've actually been a, a GM owner in the past and a lot of their vehicles have hot Wi-Fi hotspots. So um, there, there's a lot of opportunities for um, AT&T to work with GM to expand its services and capabilities um, to, to, and just overall enhance the, the driving experience for us, for GM customers. Yeah, you know, I think even beyond that, you know, OTA updates and, you know, and infotainment and that sort of thing. I mean, this is a precursor to, you know, a connected vehicle, you know, autonomous driving. And, you know, 5G is going to be a key linchpin to make autonomous vehicles safe. Uh, I know you're a Tesla owner. And, um, you know, we hear the stories about, you know, folks putting it on the semi-autopilot and, you know, calamity occurring and, you know, 5G with its low latency. I mean, and, and once the telemetry is baked into the roads, um, it's going to be a game changer. It's really going to make autonomous driving safe. And certainly that's several years out. But, um, right. but you know, what I also found interesting about this particular announcement is that AT&T claimed that um, uh, among their, their chief competitors, that they have the largest footprint within automotive. So I don't know if that was a GM statement. I think or- I think they do from what I've seen AT&T, because uh, AT&T also powers the Teslas as far as I know. Do so um, between Tesla and GM, that's probably a ton of uh, connected vehicles on its own. But in yeah. addition to that announcement, uh, AT&T also announced that they're extending their first net 5G access to 10 more cities, mm-hmm. uh, bringing it to 48 cities. Um, and that does include millimeter wave. And then they also announced um, that they were bringing a 5G millimeter t- millimeter wave test bed to the University of Tennessee. Um, and that was primarily for uh, VR and AR applications. So we're seeing AT&T make a lot of announcements this week. Um, we're seeing more and more AR VR test beds rolling out in different universities. A few weeks ago, we talked about Fisk University with T-Mobile. So it looks like uh, 5G is getting more attention on on the XR front as well as on automotive. Uh, you know, we talked a few weeks ago about T-Mobile's announcement. So it, it's interesting, and it's just good that AT&T's got a lot of stuff going on right now. Yeah, yeah, you know, and you know the 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 low latency, the, the sub five millisecond latency is the game changer. You know, within 5G, from from my perspective, you know, to power AR VR experiences as well as automotive. So. This will be another area that we'll keep close tabs on. But let's go to my second topic this week. And so last week, you know, Rakuten um, announced earnings and they posted significant losses. You know, no surprises. They continue to invest in deploying, you know, new 5G networks. Um, and they sort of pointed to base station investments as the culprit. And I found this kind of interesting because we've talked about this on a prior podcast. They're investing heavily in virtualization, just like Dish that we were talking about earlier, and you know, an open RAN and that sort of thing. And so, from my perspective, you know, they they sort of leaned on things like the pandemic and other other you know precursors as sort of excuses for for the losses. But is is this the reality given the fact that they're embracing open RAN? And again, you know, they're they're acquiring uh, Altia Star. It's, you know, it's almost a billion dollar, you know, sort of acquisition on our last podcast. I sort of questioned that investment. You know, when you when you look at other large operators like AT&T, 
that are, you know, they're, they're, they're partnering to kind of figure out virtualization and deploy an open source and that sort of thing. But I'm curious to get your take on this. I think that Rakuten still has some runway um, when it comes to losing money. Um, but I think they're going to start running out of excuses. Yeah. Um, if they start to deploy customers um, like the one-on-one -on -one deal and they aren't able to turn a profit. Um, so it's going to be very important that they turn a profit in this division. Um, and we'll, we'll see where it goes, but I think they've still got some time to prove themselves. Yeah, true. They're, you know, they're sort of in startup mode and, you know, I don't want to say they're faking it before they make it, but that's a big Silicon Valley, you know, expression, but I would agree with you. They probably have a couple of more quarters and they're going to have to start kind of showing uh, the proof of their investments there. But let's move to your second topic this week. And you want to talk about C-band and how it uh, relates to aerospace. Yeah, so a lot of the um, companies in the aerospace industry, specifically the airlines and the airplane manufacturers, a la aerospace, um, have once again brought up their opposition to C-band. Um, and it's interesting because the government has uh, collected uh, roughly $100 billion from the operators to um, allow for C-band to be used uh, for cellular communications of 5G. And this band, C-band, exists in the 3.7 gigahertz to 4 gigahertz um, spectrum. And what these companies are saying is that the FCC um, is not really listening to their, their concerns, um, that they believe that there will be interference with their equipment specifically related to their um, altimeters, mm -hmm. um, which is a safety thing, obviously. Right. Um, but what is interesting is um, if you look at where C-band operates, which is 3.7 to 4 gigahertz, um, it is more than 200 megahertz uh, away from where these altimeters operate. And the FCC believes that this is enough of a gap between bands for it not to be a concern. Okay. Um, I think my thought process here is um, the FCC is generally one of these organizations um, that does take a lot of testing into consideration when they offer bands. Um, and it doesn't really seem like um, the FAA or FCC or anybody opposing it has really proven one way or the other that there is an issue or there isn't. Um, right. And I think uh, appropriate testing would be um, very helpful on either side to prove this, um, you know, whether or not this is an issue. Um, because I think when we consider that a lot of these airplanes are, are generally operating at higher altitudes, the likelihood that interference occurs at those altitudes is very, very minute. Although I, I could see there being some potential interference issues at lower altitudes. Right. Um, I, I just think that, you know, cell, first of all, cell towers are not pointing straight up. Um, they're not even really pointing up for the most part. They're mostly pointing down if they're pointing anywhere. Right. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens with this, but I think this is um, a little bit of fear mongering from the, um, the, the, the airline industry. And I'm kind of curious to see whether there's any actual data to back up their concerns, because 
we've seen concerns from other bands before like 24 gigahertz but um that's a millimeter wave band yeah. and for a millimeter wave band to interfere with a satellite in space I, i'm i struggle with that because we know that you know you would have to transmit mil, tw- you'd have to transmit millimeter wave at such a ludicrously high power to yeah. even interfere with a satellite in space um, and we know that millimeter wave doesn't propagate that well, then it just, it's, I struggle with it. So yeah. I think this is one of those things where you want to take it with a grain of salt and ask for, for empirical data. I, I would agree. And the other thing that I'll add as well is that, you know, 5G inherently based on the 3GPP defined standards is inherently more spectrally efficient than LTE. So maybe in an LTE world, this might be, you know, a greater concern. But I also agree with you, just, you know, given, um, you know, just, you know, how an aircraft operates, you know, um, certainly not at the higher altitudes where an altimeter is going to be critical. Um, but, but, you know, I get it, you know, as, you know, as a plane is landing, you know, but I also, I'm not a pilot, but I play one on TV. I actually have a cousin who's a naval aviator, trained as a naval aviator. Uh, most commercial aircraft on on landing, it's a lot of it is on autopilot, is my understanding. So, yep. but you're right. I think there needs to be more, you know, more investigation here. But let's move to my third and final topic this week, and I want to talk about um, KT Korea Telecom. So, uh, you and I have talked on prior podcasts about how South Korea is truly a leader in five um, G deployment. I've also written Forbes articles about, about the carriers. And what I'm most impressed with is, um, you know, the Korean operators focus on discrete 5G services, not just getting the, the pipe out there, you know, with the fast throughput and the low latency, but the actual discrete services that are behind it. Many of them have been consumer oriented, um, but we're beginning to see some commercial applications um, come along. So uh, KT posted its uh, recent 2Q um, earnings and um, double-digit growth. So they're hitting on all cylinders. And, you know, it wasn't really stated within the press release. But again, you know, my belief is that it's their, it's their focus on discrete 5G services that are really fueling its momentum. But I'd love to get your take on this. Yeah, I think um, KT is definitely one of those companies that, has the potential to grow its 5G adoption faster than others by expanding outward. Um, but I didn't really see any data that supported that at this moment. Right. Um, I think it could just be that, you know, there's more um, devices out there for people to choose from to adopt 5G and there have been in the past and, and, and that this momentum may be carrying forward as we start to see more and more services offered as well. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Well, hey, uh, for your third and final topic this week, you want to talk about Qualcomm and their 5G drone platform. And I, I want to hear more because I didn't catch this, but I've been reading about T-Mobile and their, you know, their investigation with, with, with you know, kind of drone platforms as well. So would, would love to hear your take on this. Yeah, so the new uh, Qualcomm drone platform is called the Flight RB5. 5G platform. So it's the company's first 5G drone platform. And it actually takes a very powerful um, connectivity capabilities and processing capabilities to be able to do all kinds of really interesting um, 
applications. So one of the really interesting things is this supports basically every band. It, it supports all the 5G bands. Mm -hmm. um, and it also supports CBRS um, and it supports long range Wi-Fi, um, which is something that is unique to this platform. Um, as many drones today use Wi-Fi for communications, this can you know, seamlessly pair Wi-Fi with cellular in a way that allows you to get the most range out of the drone while you're using it. And it does actually come with a custom controller um, reference design as well to maximize that Wi-Fi um, range when you aren't using cellular. Um, but it, it has the ability to, you know, do 4K, 8K, um, it supports Wi-Fi 6, uh, it has all kinds of AI processing capabilities. Um, and it's just, it's just kind of the top of the line when it comes to, to drone platforms today, especially when you consider that, you know, drones are going to be used for public safety, for film and entertainment, you know, for asset inspection, like, like bridges and, and roads, and even for mapping. Yeah, ag tech, yeah. So it, there's so many applications for this. Um, and, and the thing is, is that because there's so much on-device processing capability, it can actually operate autonomously and have 360-degree awareness of where, where it is um, so that it can be, you know, used in a, um, in a fleet or in some kind of, um, uh, like, large deployment. But what's really interesting is that these are very powerful. Um, and it's like having a very high end smartphone chip in your drone, which hasn't really been the case for a while, because a lot of these drone platforms tend to lag behind uh, where the, the fastest processing capabilities are. But because Qualcomm obviously has some of the fastest um, smartphone processors in the world, they're able to waterfile down some of these technologies much more quickly to the drone platform than they maybe would have in the past or even if any of their competitors could today. Now it's exciting. I wonder, so I didn't catch this. So um, I'm assuming they're, they're approaching, you know, the various OEMs that, that build drones like, you know, DJI I'm very familiar with, right? I know you <laughs> are as well because you're a, a drone aficionado. I mean, is, is Qualcomm's, you know, goal to like, you know, again, provide a platform with, you know, with, you know, the, the software, the API, the SDKs, and, and sort of enable an ecosystem with, with the DJIs of the world? Or from your perspective, yeah. what's the route to market? I mean, there's companies like Skydio out there too. Um, there's a lot of drone companies out there that can take advantage of this. Yeah. Um, what's interesting is that, you know, they have a neural processing SDK. They've got a computer vision SDK and they have their, their special uh, DSP SDK. So there's lots of software out there to take advantage of the processing capabilities of this drone. Um, and it's, you know, it's, a, it's a reference design. So you can kind of you know, um, try your own, your own stuff on it and see how it works. But they absolutely are targeting uh, OEMs for this kind of a launch um, and trying to encourage them to, to up-level their, their hardware capabilities because you know, 4K and 8K, um, those are, that's, that's awesome for being able to inspect something because you get a lot better visual, you know, quality when you're trying to verify whether something needs a repair or if something's been done. And 
um, the more data these drones are able to pull down and share to the cloud, um, the data sets and whatever AI algorithms they're, they're training will get more accurate. Well, I'm just personally looking forward to the day when I can order um, Papa John's pizza and have a you know, drone delivered or get my Amazon Prime shipments, you know, delivered to the house via drone. So it seems like that's possibly a step in the right direction. But hey, buddy, you know, we uh, we were on hiatus last week, but we had a great episode this week. Why don't you take us home? Absolutely. We hope our viewers and listeners found this week's topics interesting. If anyone out there would like to provide us with a specific insight on a specific 5G topic for a future podcast, please reach out to us on social media. Will is at Will Tantac and I'm at Anshel Sog. We hope you have a great weekend and please tune in again next week.